I love uh, C.S. Lewis. I love reading C.S. Lewis. Um, and he, C.S. Lewis had such an ingenious mind. I mean, I uh, pray or ask or beg, whatever you might think, for the ingenuity and the creativity of this man's mind, right? C.S. Lewis uh, wrote The Lion, the Witch, and the, the Wardrobe, and um, the, the, the classics of Narnia. And one of the things that uh, was neat about uh, Lewis is, uh, is that he wrote these stories about Narnia where the children would be uh, living their life in their own world, if you will. But then you open up, right? You open up the doorway to a life of imagination that only leads through the wardrobe. And as you open the doors and step into the wardrobe on the other side is a life full of color and an entirely imaginative world that, or through which Lewis teaches wonderfully deep uh, truths about the Lord. And that's what it's like in a way to look at creation through the fresh lens of the word of God in the very beginning of the Bible, Genesis, asking the Holy Spirit to give us ears to hear and eyes to see through faith, right? Which is having confidence to live according to what we don't always see physically. Although while we're talking about creation, he's speaking very much about things that we do see. And Paul speaks about how creation is really just there to help us see God, help us see the divine eternal attributes of God. And so through creation, we see this and we're able to, to see it and sort of follow its magnificence to the designer of everything uh, that we see and, and know about. And as he designed creation, he designed each and every one of us. Psalm 139 tells us that we were knit together in our mother's wombs. So God, God's been, uh, or Moses, the Lord through Moses has kind of been building up to this great climax of creation. Uh, we see that when God says it's so, because God is the almighty one. God is the uncreated creator who rightly rules over all creation. God speaks and it comes into being. And then God looks at his creation and says, oh, this is good. This is good. This is good. That's what it means to be God. When you say something, it happens. You don't check with anyone else. You don't have to work hard for it to happen. You don't have to use other people, other resources. You speak, it happens because you're God. And that is unlike, obviously, anyone else in all of creation because there's one creator and everyone else, everything else is that which is created, right? God created everything from nothing we see in the beginning, and he saw that light was good. And God saw that the dry land, which he called earth, and the waters that he gathered together, seas, were good in chapter 1, verse 10. He saw that his cumulative uh, creation, everything that he had made, which was building up together to create uh, the heavens and the earth, is good, right? After bringing forth plants, yielding seed according to their own kinds, and, and trees bearing seeds according to their own kinds, God says that it is good. God's building up to something here. The uncreated creator says that it's good when he, he creates two light givers. He'd already created light, 
And now he sticks two light givers in the sky and says that it is good as he separates light from darkness. He creates the sea creatures and, and every living, living creature that moves in the water and on the ground and is flying in the air. In verse 21, he created livestock and creeping things. Mind you, that includes box elder bu bugs. <laughs> which like to try to find their home in here in the changing seasons. So we want to sweep them up and put them back in their rightful home. But they're God's creatures. And God said it was good when they were made too. So just remind yourself of that when we see them. Oh, God said these guys are good too. Okay. Let's transport them to their new or their proper home, right? Um, bugs which crawl around on the ground and beasts of the earth, everything according to its own kind. And then we come to Genesis 1, 26 through 31, and we'll read that together. Then God said, let us make man in our own image, after our likeness. And let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him Male and female, he created them, and God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the heavens, over every living thing that moves on the earth. And God said, behold, I've given you every plant yielding seed that is on the face of the earth and every tree with seed in its fruit, and you shall have them for food. And to every beast of the earth and to every bird of the heavens and to every, everything that creeps on the earth, everything that has the breath of life. I have given every green plant for food and it was so. And God saw that he, as God saw everything that he had made and behold, it was very good. And there was evening and there was morning the sixth day. Friends, God created mankind for his own glory to reflect his image, to rule over his creation and to reproduce godly offspring. God created mankind for his own glory. From before the foundations of the earth, the Lord had, had planned this moment, the moment when he would, he would produce his, his greatest creation, his, his masterpiece, his, his masterful work only being made, I'm sorry, the only being made in God's image. Now just pause and let that sink in for a minute. God created from nothing the heavens and the earth. And then he begins to form and fill the earth. And, and as he does, he goes along the way. He's creating things and everything he creates, he says, oh, this is good. Oh, this is good. Oh, this is good. And then he gets to the pinnacle of creation and, and two things happen. Number one, rather than passively saying, let there be, let there be, let there be. Now we see a dialogue. Let us create man in our image, in our likeness. So he goes from this passive, let there be, let there be, to let us make man 
There's a, there's a shift in intentionality. There's a shift in, in, uh, in function and purpose. There's a shift in the magnitude of what God is doing as he makes mankind. The only being ever made in the image and carrying the likeness of God himself. Don't draw too strong of a, a disconnect between the word image and likeness. Uh, suffice it to say that, that there are two words that build upon each other. Uh, and commentators and theologians have spent, uh, spilled much ink trying to understand the two. And there uh, may be some distinctions that can be made, but they speak to really tell us that we're created in God's, in God's image, in God's likeness. We're created after God to image Him and to reflect His glory. We are created for God's glory. Part of the reason that we struggle as people is because we... Uh, we try to figure out life without starting at the right point, right? C- could you imagine uh, having a map in your mind uh, of a race that you're running, but the way that you've memorized the map is from the starting point, and you get sort of flown in or helicoptered in, and you get dropped in, dropped in about uh, a third of the way through the route, but you know the beginning of the race. You know where to go from the beginning, your first turn, your second turn. You, you, you may ev- eventually catch up to understanding where you're at in the race, but you won't from the get-go understand exactly where you're to go because you didn't start from the beginning, right? It would be like a, a medical student beginning to look at cadavers before actually understanding how a perfectly functioning human body ought to function, how the male body ought to function, how the female body ought to function, and in their varying stages of life, how they are to function perfectly. If you get dropped in without understanding uh, that biological reality, and, and you're to begin trying to understand what, 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 what went, went wrong, hey. why this person passed away, you're going to have a hard time because you don't know the master plan of how it's to work. And so as, as we begin in the beginning, we just need to acknowledge that part of our struggle is because we're trying to figure out life. And parents, you know this, grandparents, you know this, from the youngest of ages, children try to begin piecing things together. They're, 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 they're masterful, uh, maybe participants, if you will, in trying to piece together the puzzle of life. I said they're masterful participants, but they have not begun to rightly put together the puzzle of life. But from the earliest of ages, we begin trying to ask questions to understand things. And when in our humanness, we begin to ask questions that we don't have answers for, what do we do? We fill in the pieces with what we know. Although what we know after the fall now has been tainted by sin. And so we're not able to piece it together. And that means we go through many struggles in life trying to piece together what we don't necessarily have all the answers to when we try to do so of our own accord. But when we begin at the beginning in Genesis and with God's fantastic purposes in mind, we learn as we see the one who created us in his image as we begin to understand the spiritual anatomy for how God made us, this spiritual anatomy for the soul. 
Because when God made us in his image, he wasn't stamping a physical, corporal image on us. We all look quite differently. But what he gave us was the breath of life and an eternal soul, which lives forever. Or as we'll come to see, dies forever. And so as we begin to understand how God made us, how he wired us, and what our purposes are, we begin to recognize, ah, this isn't how it's supposed to be. And we begin to see how God, from before the creation of the universe, purposefully planned to bring a redeemer who would redeem all things and help us to Understand why we were created and how we're able to live for him. When, when, when God is comforting Israel, he's calling them back to remember that he's their only savior. He says in Isaiah 43, and really, if you have time to read the whole chapter, it'd be beneficial for you. I'm just going to read two verses here. He says, but now thus says the Lord, he who created you, O Jacob, he who formed you, O Israel. Do you see how the Lord in his word is using the reality of creation, the reality of being formed by God for his purposes to give confidence and to call them back to their original purposes. He says, fear not from the one who made you for I have redeemed you. I have called you by my name. You are mine. And six verses later, he says, everyone who is called by my name, whom I created for my glory, God made you, God made man. He made woman for his glory. He made us for his glory to reflect his image, not our own. He made us for his glory to reflect, reflect his image. And these principles are so foundational to how we understand everything else in the rest of the Bible, right? When we speak of the image of God, we're speaking solely of human beings. That's an important distinction because how many people in our world and in our nation worship animals, worship creation. It might not seem like a big deal to you. You, you, you might be puzzled by their arguments. Your confidence in the word of God, in the person of God, in the purposes of God might be even kind of set back on your heels. Unless you remember, mankind is made in the image of God for God's glory. Animals are not. Animals are a wonderful creation. Creation itself is a wonderful creation, but it is underneath the priority of God's purposes for mankind in his world. Other creatures are created according to their kinds. They have seed bearing fruit in them according to their kinds. Mankind is created in the image, in the likeness of God. All right? So in, in Near Eastern texts, only the king is in the image of God. But in the Hebrew perspective, right, this is a um, sort of, handed out to all of, of humanity. The text is talking about this royal dominion that we're to have over the earth as God's uh, vice regents, as God's royal representatives uh, in the earth. 
Man is appointed king over creation, one commentator says, responsible to God, the ultimate king, and as such, expected to manage and develop and care for this creation. And this includes physical works, which we'll see in the coming weeks. So as he speaks of the image of man, mankind, he's speaking of mankind being made male and female an eternally enduring truth that does not change. A few passages deal with God's creation of this new man, and they help us to understand what it means. Psalm 94, 9, the psalmist tells us that God's people are made in his image so that God can communicate himself to all people. Listen to what the psalmist says. He who planted the ear, does not he hear? He who formed the eye, does he not see? These are rhetorical answers, of course. He gave people ears to show that he hears the cry of the afflicted and eyes to show that he sees the plight of the pitiful. In fact, when you begin to read on a little bit further in Exodus, God hears his people in slavery in Egypt and he responds. And we see that many, many times in the Old Testament, in fact. In Ephesians 4.24, a book we spent some time on uh, last year, Paul says that uh, the believer has to put on the new man, literally the new man, the new self, created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Colossians 3.10, he states that we've got to put on, again, the new man who is being renewed in true knowledge and after or according to the image of his creator. So we see righteousness, holiness, truth, and the knowledge of God that are woven into what it means to be created in the image of God. These New Testament passages, by the way, referring to those who are, have been or are being redeemed through the work of Jesus Christ. So if we don't rightly relate to our creator, our life has no lasting purpose. Hear that again. If we're not rightly related to the creator... Our life has no lasting purpose, I should say, from our perspective. Because those who are under God's judgment, those who are under God's wrath, do still have purpose in God being glorified in uh, everything that happens in the end times. That's a, a whole other topic in and of itself. But God is glorified by everyone that he has made, whether it is for judgment or whether it is in submission to him as our Lord. So from our perspective, we're going to lack. We're going to be like feeling around in the dark, trying to understand why we exist on this earth, not understanding our purpose or why we exist or, or how that should guide our decision-making and our relationships. It means that we have uh, personality, knowledge, feelings, and a will. It sets us apart, as I said, from animals and, and from plants. We have morality. Just think about it. When you get angry... When you get angry, when I get angry, we're making a moral judgment. We, we, we are understanding what's happened in our life or what someone has done to us or to someone else. And we're making a moral judgment that what was done was wrong. And therefore, we have emotion that flows from that. The problem is our moral picture of life is not perfect and righteous like God's. It is possible to be righteously angry. It's possible to be angry and not sin. But only through the work of the Spirit of God. 
And everybody created, male and female, is created in God's image. It also means that human life is valuable. Human life, which begins at conception, is valuable. And everyone needs to be treated, deserves to be treated, with the honor that comes from being made in God's image. This means that that the unborn baby isn't to be killed because it's not convenient to have a child or because parents prefer to have a boy instead of a girl or a child that doesn't have disabilities or is deformed. It's a human life that God created and God purposed, even if it doesn't, according to the way we look at life, match our standard of quality of life. Right? Do you hear that appeal to emotion? Well, their quality of life is not going to be great. Well, we're stepping into God's shoes when we try to piece together a conflicting world and understand that God is eternally wise and creates all kinds of people for His glory. At the other end of the spectrum, we're talking about uh, those who are elderly, those who can no longer think clearly are to be treated with dignity and care. The Lord decides when we come into this world and the Lord is the one who decides when we leave or when our souls pass from our body. Both end-of-life decisions, negatively speaking, euthanasia and abortion cheapen the value of human life that God created in His image. In his likeness. You and I are God stamped creatures that are intended to to reflect back to God and to the world who he is. But we just acknowledge that we do this imperfectly, but again, more of that coming in a, a couple of weeks. God created mankind to rule over his creation. Right? You hear about many in the world who 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 are prioritizing creation or prioritizing animals or, or prioritizing any number of things over and above human life. Brothers and sisters, this must never be the case. I remember hearing a story, and I just thought of it even just now, so I don't have the context for it, but I remember hearing a story about fires out in the West, and this is uh, quite some time ago out on the West Coast. And there was a lake nearby, a, a decent-sized lake nearby, where those who were fighting these forest fires wanted to come in with a bucket uh, I mean, like a big bucket, and, and dip into that lake and carry it to use it to put out the fires. But Peter got on board and said, no, because there is a, 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 what's the word I'm looking for? There's an endangered turtle in that lake. So, so we can't use this lake water to put out this fire because we might unintentionally scoop up this turtle. So we'd rather that homes perish, maybe people perish, as a result of prioritizing an endangered turtle over human life. Now, we honor and we take care of and and we use God's creation wisely, but God makes it clear That he has given us creation to subdue the earth, to have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the 
my parentheses, turtles in the lakes, over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. God says, I've given you every plant yielding seed that's on the face of the earth and every tree with seed in its fruit. You shall have them for food. And to every beast of the earth and every bird of the heavens and everything that creeps on the earth, everything that has the breath of life in it, I have given every green plant for food. Now, this is before the fall and death had not occurred. So we don't see meat eating people here because it's pre-fall. And so animals weren't being killed yet at this point. We need to be sensitive. We need to be aware of the design of God's creation. We need to honor the way that God purposed as he made creation. Do we need to take care of animals? Absolutely. Absolutely, because God made them. But there is a difference between an animal that's made or a tree that's planted when we compare it to the eternally valuable soul of a man and a woman. God created mankind for his glory to reflect his image, to rule over his creation, and to reproduce godly offspring. Brothers and sisters, we live in a day and age where I need to, excuse me, where people will talk freely about the desire to choose between a career and having a family and filling the earth, my share of the earth, with children. The feminist movement has, has mocked and ridiculed those who would desire to have a large family. And by the way, I will just tell you right, right here, I'm not making a case for how many kids your family should have. It's not the point. The point is God spoke to creation and said, be fruitful, multiply. You know what that means? Have babies and fill the earth with them. We don't need to start measuring and accounting for how many people there are on the globe. We need to create and we need to live in godly families intent upon training up godly offspring. Listen to what Malachi says. We looked at this text, I think, last year or the year before. The Lord's challenging his people because they're just going through the motions. They're kind of bummed out that life's not going their way. They're frustrated with it. And so the Lord says, okay, let me just call you to task on this. And he goes through several things. One of the things he does is he challenges them for uh, why he created marriage. Now, I want you to think about this. We live in a world where marriage is uh, completely romanticized, right? Young, young girls grow up just with this dream of a young man being her knight in shining armor and sweeping her off of her feet and satisfying her every heart's desire, being wonderfully perfect kind and gentle and always prioritizing her needs and even desires. Well, my wife was the only one that got that guy and then the rest. No, I'm kidding. So, (laughs) 
but we used five, she's rolling her eyes. It looks like it hurts in fact. Um, that's what we're told. That's what we think all the time growing up. Men have their own pursuit of conquering and then changing postures from doing everything that we can do to love and to sweep her off her feet. And then when we get married, sometimes our, our perspective changes. We think marriage is for me. I think marriage is for me. Sherilyn thinks marriage is for her. Except God says it's for him. Malachi 2.15. Did not God make them, male and female, with a portion of the spirit in their union? Now just step back and think about this. The spirit of God working in the hearts of his children. And God says, didn't God make them with a portion of the spirit in their union? They come together. And what was the one God seeking? Blissful happiness. No. Godly offspring. God created man and woman, brings them together. And he says, I bless you. Be fruitful, multiply, take care of the earth. Work it. Keep it, as we'll see in coming weeks. Why? Have babies and raise them to worship me. Raise them to look at me. Psalm 127 counters this cultural move against, against the blessing of children. Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord. The fruit of the womb is a reward. And does that mean if somebody is not able to have children, they're not able to have the blessing of children? Oh, no, dear friends. There are so many ways we can love, love those who are orphans. We can love those that are in the foster care system. 18, 19 years ago, one of my sisters began to pray, Lord, she had one child biologically, and then was not able to have any more. She would have taken a dozen if the Lord would have given them to her. But she began to see, I'm not living for my purposes or my pleasure. Lord, would you give me a child that would have been aborted if he or she didn't have someone to adopt? And within a year, the Lord answered that prayer. From New Jersey to Tennessee. There are many ways to be a part of training up children in the fear and instruction of the Lord. To bring godly offspring into the world. To, to, to multiply a people who live for the fame of God's name. It's interesting how, how Moses weaves creation into, into all of this in the, in the coming uh, in the coming books, in the Pentateuch, and, and, and even how the writer of Hebrews does, right? So God created mankind for his own glory. Restating our, our main point for the day, God created mankind for his own glory. In other words, we're to live entirely for him, not for our own comfort here. So we're created for his glory to reflect his image, to rule over his creation, and to rep reproduce godly offspring. Do you see the God-centered focus of each of these points? 
Well, in the next book of your Bible, in Exodus 20, when the Lord delivered the Ten Commandments to Moses, he begins by saying, you shall have no other gods before me. And then each of the first four commandments focus on God being glorified in everything, right? He, he, he says um, they're, they're expressly intended to focus our minds and our hearts on the glory of God, right? No other gods before the Lord. Don't make a carved image or an idol to represent God's lowercase g to worship, And you don't need a visible representation of me, Israelites. You don't need to create something to worship when you can't see me or see my representative because I've created a world of representatives. Not to worship, but to love and serve together the Creator God. Don't take the Lord's name in vain. Don't don't use the the name of the Lord without purpose, without worship in mind. And remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. And the Lord closes this command on the Sabbath by saying this. For in six days, days, in six 24-hour days, the Lord made the heaven and the earth, the sea, and all that is in them. And he rested on the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath and he made it holy. And then the writer of Hebrews uses creation to refer to faith. He says, now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen, for by it, for by faith, the people of old received their commendation. By faith. Remember, the conviction of things not seen. You might say, the conviction of things not necessarily scientifically proven. Because we have no way to prove many of the claims that come at us because we weren't there. God was there. And he says, by faith, we understand that the universe was created by the word of God so that what is seen was made out of things, I'm sorry, was not made out of things that are visible. So what do we make of all of this? Friends, you and I are to have an increasing sense of awe and an increasing sense of humility as we think about God and his purposes in creation. For God's glory in everything that you and I say and do. Listen to the psalmist in eight, uh, Psalm 8, verses 3 through 6. He said, when I look at the heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars, which you have set in place, What is man that you are mindful of him and the son of man that you care for him? You've made him a little lower than the heavenly beings and crowned him with glory and honor. You have given him dominion over the works of your hands and you have put all things under his feet. Describing humility uh, in a small book in a sermon, Tim Keller says, the book booklet is uh, it's called The Freedom of Self-Forgetfulness. And Tim Keller says, humility is not thinking less of yourself. You're not trying to talk yourself down. It's just simply thinking of yourself less. When we begin to see God for who he is and we stand in awe of who he is and we recognize his purposes in creation, We don't have to think less of ourselves. We just think of ourselves less because we're more consumed by setting our minds and our hearts on the glory of God. Let's live to that end, friends. 
Let's walk in faith by what we see in Genesis as God is revealing it to us. Let's trust Him wholly. Let's, let's think less of ourselves and more about God and other male and female that He made, other people that, that God made. Heavenly Father, I thank You, Lord, for this great word that you've given us. And I pray, Father, that you would help us in, uh, in knowing you more, in understanding your purposes for our lives. We're speaking about it here today quite broadly. And yet you, you have purposed for us to know your call upon our lives, how you've created us to live, to reflect your glory to the world around us. That means to one another in here. It means to our neighbors, our family, our coworkers, our friends, and those that, well, maybe they would consider us their enemy or maybe we might be tempted to think that they're ours. But we're to represent you. We're to fill up what is lacking in the sacrifice, sacrifices of Christ, the personal presentation of love for God and Christ-likeness in the midst of suffering, in the midst of affliction, in the midst of persecution. May we live for your purposes, for the fame of your name. And we'll be so thankful when we're able to see you face to face one day. And we are home with you in glory. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.